You're listening to the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, your host, Ben Eagle. Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you are listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 223 of the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, Ben Eagle. Uh, today, we're in Shropshire meeting farm manager Michael Kavanagh, who is also a founding director of the Green Farm Collective, a company set up for knowledge exchange to trade carbon and biodiversity and regeneratively farmed produce. Michael has also previously managed farms in North Yorkshire and Essex. In 2014, he transitioned 600 acres of his arable farm that he currently manages to zero till, and his rotation is diverse, consisting of milling wheats, heritage wheats, malting barley, and quinoa. He now farms around 1,700 acres in total. The system also includes 650 ewes, which are lambed outdoors. Uh, He was runner-up in the Soil Farmer of the Year 2020, winner of the Climate Change Champions Competition in 2022, and a 2022 finalist in the Farmers Weekly Awards Farm Manager of the Year category. And like me, he's also a current scholar on the Oxford Farming Conference Inspire programme, which is how we met. Michael, that was quite a list. Welcome to Meet the Farmers. How are you doing? Thank you, Ben. It was quite a list, yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, very well. It's not raining today in Shropshire, which makes a nice change of late. Yeah, we were chatting before we started recording that um, it's not not been the kindest autumn so far for you, has it? It hasn't. No, it's been a it's been a real struggle. I think. Um, yeah, it's uh, it sort of twenty nineteen resonates with me a little bit here. It's uh, yeah, I think a fairly typical picture, to be honest. Uh, where should we start? Can you give us an overview of uh, your current farm in terms of where it is, acreage, rotation, system, that kind of thing? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I, you did a fairly good job in the intro, Ben, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're in Shropshire. So we're near a place called Albrighton in Shropshire, and we are farming roughly 1,400 acres of arable crops. Uh, and the remainder is then, is then grass and, and a bit of woodland and, and so forth. The home farm, which which um, I've been on for nine years now, um, I've had a real sort of focus on on soil health here. And, and uh, you know, we've zero till on the home farm. As you said, growing a very diverse crop rotation. Roughly a third is spring cropping. So we're growing cover crops on all that land. Uh, and then, as you said, we have our own flock of sheep here as well. So we're using those we're using those cover crops to feed the sheep through the winter. Uh, and the net result is that we don't use any concentrate feeds at all across the sheep flock. Uh, all the ewes, everything, no no concentrates at all. And we finish all our lambs, 100% of our lambs are finished here on farm on, on a forage-based diet. Uh, and all of our lambs then go into a local farm shop. So we supply Essington Farm Shop. And it's been really interesting to watch that market grow because we started supplying probably five lambs a week. Uh, yeah. And that's now built up to, to sort of 15 lambs a week. It's really interesting. They're getting more and more customers coming in asking for grass-fed beef and lamb. Um, so it's been really nice to grow that market with them. We then have was about 800 acres of the of the arable acreage that is a contract farm um, that we just took we took that on last year. So uh, we just just had our first harvest there, 
Um, that is a farm where the landowner is really keen on improving the farm and, and wanting to farm it regeneratively. And I think it's fair to say that was facing us with an awful lot of challenges, both in terms of uh, the soil health and the weed burden, grass weed burdens up there. It's a really, well, in some ways it's a frustrating challenge, um, but in some ways it's really interesting because it kind of, it acts as a barometer to show how far, you know, we brought the home farm in the meantime, because the difference between the two farms, even though they're two and a half miles apart, and the same sort of land is is chalk and cheese, to be honest. Yeah. So, uh, and you you so... like a challenge, Michael? You like a challenge? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's certainly giving us a big one. <laughs> um, just uh, on the uh, on the rotation, I've noticed that you're growing some heritage wheats there. What's your experience been of those? Yeah, heritage wheat. So, um, really interesting. Uh, they the flour that you make from heritage wheats are far more digestible to to humans, uh, and actually, in terms of a human health point of view, they are absolutely superb. They, as we'll probably talk a bit a bit later about the Green Farm Collective and what we're trying to do with regeneratively farmed produce, it kind of fit, yeah. fits in there a bit. But um, they, I have mixed feelings on them. To be honest, uh, they're very low yielding, um, and how how that sits with me in, in this world where as farmers, we've got to be growing as much food as, as possible to feed an ever-growing population. That's the one thing that doesn't sit quite quite comfortably with me. But in another way, they suit my system incredibly well. So you don't need, you know, they take minimal nitrogen. They don't respond to any, any sort of modern plant protection products, which I'm trying not to use anyway. Um, so in, in terms of that, uh, in terms of that, you know, it, it, it fits the system quite well. Um, we're only growing a very small acreage um, and we'll, yeah, I just want to keep a toe in and see how the market develops, really. Are you from a farming background and did you always want to be a farmer? No, not from a farming background at all. Uh, Mum was, uh, she was a secretary in um, Ken Morrison's office, actually, and I was in Morrison's supermarket. And, okay. Uh, uh, and dad was in commercial property. Uh, so, yeah, not in farming at all. And I think in his younger days, dad would have loved to have been a farmer, um, but probably realised he could have an easier life and make more make more money doing other things. <laughs> so he's probably quite sensible. Uh, and he tried very hard to steer me in the same direction, to be honest. He tried very hard to steer me away from farming. But uh, I, I've got an older brother. He's uh, he's eight years older than me, and he he also went into farming. Um, and I think actually watching him, you know, eight years older than me through the formative years, I suppose, kind of inspired me that, that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and, and I was I was never interested in doing anything else, to be honest. I studied agriculture at Newcastle Uni and um, I was the only one in three years of agrix there who was from a non-farming background. Really? Um, yeah. And I used wow. to see it as such a disadvantage. Um, and it was, you know, when I was sat there in lectures and they started going on about, I don't know, crop rotations or plant nutrition or something, it, you know, it was just a foreign world to me um, compared to all these people that had grown up on farms and lived and breathed it all their life. Did, did, did you yeah. find when you were at Newcastle then that, and I suppose this it's not Newcastle specific, this is generally, that that it was sort of expected that you would have more of a base knowledge? Definitely, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I say, I used to feel at a real disadvantage yeah, when I was at, at Newcastle just because I didn't have that base of knowledge that everyone else had. 
fast forward to now and actually I, I sort of flip it around and say it as a uh, you know I try and say it as an advantage because I I haven't got anyone looking over my shoulder with preconceived ideas about what I what I should or shouldn't be doing yeah um, which probably gives me a more free reign to to express myself as I want to I think did I've, you do a, a placement year or something like that no we didn't actually no no we didn't have that at Newcastle which yeah which again I know Harper Adams do one and I think that's a I think that's a really really good thing to do but uh no we didn't so no i mean i worked i worked on farms um growing up whether it be harvest jobs or uh or lambing so my brother he he set up a sheep flock um as i said he's eight years older than me he set up a sheep flock uh and so i was always always helping him out and helping him lamb Uh, so yeah so all my all my holidays through school and university were all spent on farm this episode is being supported by our primary sponsor, Howden Rural, which is the new name for Aplan Rural. The Howden team shares my passion for giving a voice to farmers, and we have both driven to raise the profile of farming voices to a wider audience. Howden Rural do a lot of work on social media themselves, sharing farming accounts and farming stories. They have a rural community blog which shares farmers' experiences. They also support a growing number of initiatives that champion UK farmers, including this podcast. So a big thank you to Howden Rural for supporting Meet the Farmers. And your first role coming out of Newcastle, was that was that the one in North Yorkshire? No, so that was in Essex, actually. So, okay. um, yeah, a chap called Hugh Pegram in Essex. Uh, and uh, yeah, he was great because... I was, you know, I was fairly green, I suppose it's fair to say, on an arable farm. Uh, it was a place I'd worked. Um, I'd done a couple of harvests there, I think. Uh, and he, the farm then expanded massively. I think they doubled in size overnight and all of a sudden he had a place for a full-time uh, farm worker. So, so yeah, I went there and, uh, and yeah, was, was there as a farm worker. Uh, so it was great, but it was great because... He was the sort of guy that he would sort of go right. There's a tractor. There's a plow. Go plow that field, and I'll show you how it works. But I'm I'm not going to micromanage you and watch you. You'll soon learn for yourself, as it were. Yep. Um, so yeah, it was a great job. I did you know. I learned an awful lot at Hughes, and I then went uh, from Hughes to a, a chap called John Gamer in Essex, which that was a, a far bigger farm. Uh, I think they were just under five thousand acres uh, when I went there. And and again, that was a you know that was a that was a real uh, sort of eye opener for me at the time. I think uh, you know working on a on a on a serious seriously big operation. Yeah, uh, you know we did grain storage and and all sorts there. So yeah, great place to work. Yeah, and learned quickly. I'm guessing as well. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, why did you decide to move up north? So um, when I was working for John Gamer, uh, long story short, brother and I, uh, we decided to join forces, I suppose, uh, and yep. uh, take yeah, go go work together and, and farm up in Yorkshire. Um, so we were farming uh, well, predominantly sheep, uh, then free range laying hens. So we we converted an old cattle shed and had ten thousand free range laying hands in there uh, and we also used to do bed and breakfast pigs so we'd have about 1100 bed and breakfast pigs on uh, and also by the time I left just started going into into suckler cows as well 
and uh, that was that was great in many ways. But sadly, brother and I were, I think, probably ready to rip each other's heads off on a daily basis. Um, yeah, one of the one of the toughest decisions of my life, I have to say. But the best thing I ever did was to leave. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, really, really, really tough call to make at the time. Um, but I, I think I have, or I, at the time, I had the advantage that I'd had a career before I went to work with my brother, so I knew there was something else out there for me. I always think I feel quite sorry for um, other farming families where perhaps sons, you know, never leave the farm and don't think there is another option out there for them because there really is. But if they've not seen that, it probably doesn't give the give them the confidence to to step away from it. Um, but you know, I I was at a stage where I was waking up every morning and not wanting to go to work, and that's that's no good, is it? Yeah, um, I've been so, there too. I know what it's like. Yeah, I know you have been. Yeah, yeah. So you you can probably relate to the tale that I've just told. Mm, mm. No, it's tough. Um, just interested in so bringing sort of fast forwarding to your current role and when you saw the opportunity and what the application process is like in order to become a farm manager um what was your experience it was interesting actually because i'd i'd fallen out of love with farming because of what had happened with my brother and i actually went to work for a friend on a co-op farm uh, down at coldham just literally went for three weeks to help him out at spud lifting time and he had a great team there that were you know it was a really happy place to work um and it made me fall back in love with farming i suppose for cut a long story short um and yeah it was sat at his breakfast table actually while i was at that job that i saw uh, i saw this job advertised and uh so yeah so <clears throat> i applied i think i was probably one of the last ones to apply uh i know they'd had 47 applications wow um yeah so um it always it always amazes me both with that and, and tenancy applications as well how many applicants come through yeah well it's like the inspire program we were on there were yeah that's true 60 odd for that or something yeah it must have been about that mm. yeah, yeah yeah so you 50, 50 yeah, odd places yeah, yeah so you feel privileged to get on don't you it's uh yeah so yeah, but then I had um, I had a very I had a telephone interview uh, uh, followed by uh, one in person interview that I suppose was about an hour long, and then I had a second in person interview that was about four hours long. Um, wow, I was absolutely knackered at the end of it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so and, and yeah, the rest is history, really. I suppose, but um, I'd actually. I think after I after I finished with my brother, my confidence was at, at rock bottom. And that was that was kind of one of the problems with the dynamic, I think, in, in working with him, that we had a there was a, a lot of big brother, little brother syndrome going on there. And as a result, my confidence was absolutely on the floor. Yeah. And I applied for a, an NFU group secretary job. There was a group secretary job that came up in Yorkshire where where I was. I was living with my parents at the time. Um, so I thought, okay, maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll apply for that and, and see where we go. And I got through, I think there were three rounds of interviews for that. And I got through to the last three um, and, and I didn't subsequently get the job, which in hindsight, I'm very glad about because I don't think I would have enjoyed it. Um, however, what that process did was it really instilled confidence in me. Um, and, you know, well, you and I both know the Inspire programme probably did both of our 
confidence the world of good yeah, um, and actually, that job interview process for the nfu um was a whole series of people going okay yeah he's he's okay that guy is you know um and actually that gave me gave me loads of confidence and i and i always say that i don't think i would have got this job if i hadn't have been through um that interview process let's turn to region ag when and why did you first become interested in regenerative agriculture before I even knew the term regenerative agriculture, I think it's <laughs> fair to say. Um, so uh, I came here, as I said, to, to what was about a 600 acre farm. And uh, there was a tractor driver here who retired when I arrived. So I was basically, um, I knew he was going to retire. He didn't just drop me in it. But, uh, <laughs> um, uh, basically, it was, okay, how do I farm this steady on my own? Uh, because you know it, it was going to be difficult to justify uh, another another wage, and this farm had been on a very conventional plough-based system, uh, and actually they'd been using contractors to do a lot of their establishment, which was frighteningly expensive. So Tim Parton, who is another one of the Green Farm Collective founders, um, he was selling a clade and drill at the time, uh, and that's how I originally met Tim, because I ended okay. up buying his old clade and drill off him um and tim was tim was brilliant you know he he helped me set the drill up and was always there on the end of the phone when i had the inevitable problems and uh, you know learning what i was doing with it um and and i always remember saying at the time right that's you know that's me done this clade and all do <laughs> me for forever you know um but then your mindset starts to change a bit um and you know i always refer to I'd have a shear bolt break on the Claydon's main leg uh, and it would always happen right by a main road and, you know, I wouldn't notice it because it was late at night or something and you'd think, oh, God, that's going to stand out like a sore thumb. And then when it didn't, you start, it didn't stand out like a sore thumb at all. You couldn't tell. You start thinking, well, hang on, do I need to move all that soil? That sort of slowly moved, moved my head onto, okay, we can move to we can move to a zero-till system here. Alongside that, I was also acutely aware of the fact that in in my lifetime, in my farming lifetime, we're going to lose a lot of the chemistry that I had got used to relying upon. And I think it was through talking to guys like Tim and reading various books that you start to go, well, hang on a minute, perhaps there is another way that we can we can wean off this chemistry you know, and, and and start using other products and, and look at look at plant health um and look at soil health rather than just putting an elastoplast over over everything all the time. So I think my my mindset had got to that stage probably after about four years of using the Claydon. And it was probably only then that, you know, the term regenerative agriculture started to started to be banded about as much as it is now. But really, everything that I did that that led to how we're farming now was was a decision for you know that it was the best for this farm. It was the best for us financially. Yeah, I, th- I think that's quite key. Actually, what you just said there in terms of the best for your particular farm, um, and you hear this quite a lot that um, regenerative agriculture looks different um, on every farm in the way that every farming practice looks slightly different on every farm depending on. Uh, what your factors are um and i want to turn actually now to the green farm collective um because clearly this 
your thinking is sort of developed through that uh, direct experience and uh, through speaking with speaking with other farmers as well. Tell us about the Green Farm Collective, what it is, what it does and what you want it to be. Yeah, so <clears throat> the Green Farm Collective was formed. Uh, basically, we we were all either winners or runners up of the Soul Farmer of the Year competition. Uh, foolishly, I entered the Soul Farmer of the Year competition in the same year as Jake Freestone. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> hence, I got the runner up. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yes, all those awards. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Far too good at what he does. <laughs> yeah, he is, yeah. So, um, so anyway, yeah, we, I suppose we recognise the fact that farming is changing massively. The way that we're farming is changing massively, and actually, the way that uh, the way that obviously the way that our subsidies are being paid is changing, for want of a better term. So we wanted to come together basically to to have a voice for farmers and to explore what this new era of farming that we're going into. Uh, will look like uh, and almost to be to be guinea pigs i suppose in a way so initially when we first formed um we were we were very focused on carbon trading uh, and actually the idea that a regeneratively farmed system um will be capturing large amounts of carbon and uh, you know and actually there is going to be a market there for that we then also became acutely aware of the fact that actually biodiversity uh, is becoming you know it's far more tangible than carbon uh the world is in a biodiversity crisis uh and actually there is there is a developing market therefore uh on farm biodiversity as well uh and, and not not in the way that uh you know property developers are doing biodiversity net gain things there is you know the, there is a market there for annual biodiversity and obviously that's a very broad term um um, but, you know, we became acutely aware of that. Um, we also, you know, the latest thing that we're working on is um, this idea of, of regeneratively farmed produce. So, um, you know, we're all farming in a way where, you know, I haven't used an insecticide in nine years on this farm. Um, last year, I used a fungicide on about 10% of my wheat. That was the only fungicide that I used on this whole farm. Uh, I'm not using plant growth regulators. Uh, I'm not using synthetic P and K fertilizers. Yeah. Uh, I'm certainly not using pre-harvest glyphosate. Um, and it, really, that the question is: uh, there's two slices of bread in front of you. Would you rather eat the one that's had four fungicides, two insecticides, a load of growth regulators, pre-harvest glyphosate, um, or would you rather have the one that's been farmed, you know, regeneratively? And actually, the beauty of it is that because a proper regenerative system, you know, we're, we're still getting just as good a yields as a conventional system or, so, or if not better in some cases. So we don't need a massive premium. Uh, arguably, we don't need any premium at all. But there is a premium there uh, on genuinely regeneratively farmed produce. Um, and it And it doesn't need to be a big premium so on that loaf of bread it doesn't need to be uh mega expensive and therefore out of reach for for most consumers which is a really important part of what we're what we're trying to do um so it's really regeneratively farmed produce for for the masses in a way one thing that we are aware of in the green farm collective is that there are certain uh regen schemes whereby if you grow a cover crop in that field once and didn't use an insecticide on that one particular crop, then 
there is a premium for your malting barley. We believe that if you want to be a regenerative farmer, that should be on a on a whole farm system. So the Green Farm Collective has basically developed an audit process where farmers can be audited and therefore certified as a regenerative farmer um, as per the Green Farm Collective's constitution of Regen Ag. Uh, um, so that's working with Food Integrity Assurance uh, and basically it's a bolt-on to to, to red tractor um, at the moment okay because so that was going to be one of my lead-on questions is 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 there ultimately going to be a, a green farm collective mark um on final product is, is that the aim that is the aim absolutely yeah 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 so uh yeah that's that's absolutely the aim and that that will bring added value to the farmer you know the farmer will see the benefit of that on farm and uh, you know that's been one of the the aims of of us as a green farm collective from day one is that you know we know that whether it be carbon biodiversity regen regeneratively farmed produce whatever there's going to be a lot of added value there um and we want to make sure that the farmers see that added value and that you know it doesn't get doesn't get pilfered away from us and you know red tractor it, <laughs> Yeah, is uh, there's there's clearly uh, there's clearly a bit of tension with most farmers and red tractor at the moment, and there's certainly when they brought out their GFC that um, <laughs> kind of uh, rubbed the original GFC, the real GFC that, that rubbed slightly the wrong awkward, way. yeah, similar acronym. Meet the Farmers is brought to you by Rural Pod Media, the only podcast production agency to specialise in the rural sector. We're on a mission to make rural stories mainstream and help businesses, organisations and communities like you tell your story through podcasting. Podcasting is a fantastic way of connecting with your audience, whoever that might be, getting your message out there and networking with leaders in your niche. Rural Pod Media can help you by launching your new podcast or helping you with the technical side. We also provide podcast training and an audit service if you already have a podcast you're not sure where to take it to next for more information or to book a call visit ruralpodmedia.co.uk that's ruralpodmedia.co.uk just go back to that idea that regen ag looks different on each farm um for farmers who are listening who their ears might have pricked up at this idea of another mark um what would the what would the certification process being look like in terms of parameters i suppose because if regen ag looks different on each farm how would that work yeah so we i mean at the moment this is just on combinable crops um okay. so but you know and, and at the moment we've just got just got wheat uh you know as a target but we 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 are hoping to expand it further obviously um so we're trying to ensure that it's not too prescriptive um, because exactly as you say, every regen system is a bit different. So actually, it's it's showing it's showing that you're moving in the right direction as much as anything. So that, for example, there's a, there is a cap on the amount of nitrogen that you use. Um, you know, I think we we all sort of understand now that nitrogen has probably been the biggest devil as far as soil health goes. Yes, it's fed the world, but it's also uh, been the biggest devil as far as soil health goes. Um, so 180 kilograms of nitrogen is, is is the maximum that you can use. Um, it's then also very much about showing that, you know, we're not saying that you can't use a fungicide, but it's showing that you're, um, you're trying 
as hard as you can to not use a fungicide. And then if you do use one, then it's justifying why you've used it. Okay. So for for example, the reason I used the fungicide on 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 10% of my wheat last year was because it basically it was Zyats really susceptible to yellow rust and yellow rust started coming in. Um, you know, that can wipe out a ton of my yield, probably more in fact. Um I'm still running a business. It's got to be a profitable business. Uh, and therefore, you know, it, it's okay to, uh, to to use a fungicide in that situation to ensure that you're running a profitable business. Focusing on the biodiversity side of GFC and, and bring it back to your farm, I suppose. I mean, it's clear from the bit of research that I did into your farm that yeah, improving biodiversity and nature value is key for you. Um, what does that mean in practice? What What are you doing? <laughs> so it's really interesting, actually. So, uh, you know, um, I suppose it goes back to you asked when I uh, became aware of regenerative, you know, when I started farming regeneratively. And again, it's the same with the biodiversity. I never went out to uh, improve biodiversity on farm. It is just a happy consequence of this farming system. Okay. Uh, um, you know, all our cover crops, uh, you know, are providing food for pollinators everywhere. Uh, I'm not, as I said, I've not used an insecticide on the farm for nine years. We, well, we were in the higher level stewardship. We're now in countryside stewardship, so we've got you know flower margins, etc., around around the whole farm. As I said, it was it was it wasn't something that I set out to to achieve at all. But now it's really interesting being able to quantify it. So I have a team a team of bird ringers that come to the farm um and they go out at night um with the thermal camera and they they will catch a net uh, and, and ring uh, skylarks for example uh and then we have feeding stations in, in in sort of bits of woods and things like that um where you know we're constantly feeding the birds and, and then putting identification rings on them we ringed six barn owl chicks within probably a mile of of each other yeah this this spring um, which is amazing to see, you know, to get the opportunity to hold a barn owl that's, you know, yeah, uh, that's that's hatched, you know, a few hundred yards from your house is, yeah, it's, it's superb. It's just, you know, it's it's an added little bonus that you never sort of thought would come. Um, but it's great seeing it flourish, and the only reason it's flourishing is because the food source is there for them, and everything everything stems from the soil. Tim Parton always talks about he's got the best restaurant in town, so this this one must be the second <laughs> best i think <laughs> what's your sense of how many farmers um are uh shifting their practices changing to more of this kind of things i mean i always find it's a bit of a danger isn't it and depending on which which farming bubble you move in um which farming twitter for example is 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 a great danger of that um and i mean i speak to a lot of farmers but still sort of question that idea of um, do we talk about regen ag more than it's actually happening on the ground? What's your sense of that? Yeah, I think it's 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 grown in popularity massively um, over the past five or eight years. I mean, you only have to look at Groundswell, um, you know, and look at how that's expanded. Yeah. I remember I remember going to the first Groundswell about eight nine years ago, whenever it was, which was a couple of maybe a couple of hundred people in a shed. Um, yeah. You know, compared to compared to what they have now, and and that's. That's always, I think, quite a good barometer of of, of regen ag. Um, but I think 
yeah, I think I think its popularity is is growing massively, and it's I always you know the way I got into it was I'd trial things, I'd trial a little bit of something each year, and I'd trial it on my own farm because I, I might hear about it, as you said on the, you know, the Twitter circles of or whatever farming bill, you, you know, you'd hear about it. Well, is that really possible? Or you know, um, so I'd try a little bit of everything. And then you go, oh yeah, okay, that works, or maybe that doesn't work. That's that's gone really badly. We're not going to try that again. I think it definitely is is growing in popularity. And I, I just say to any farmers, just just trial bits of it, you know, and that will that will give you the confidence to 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 either move on with it or not. Challenges. Um, what are your challenges going forwards on farm? Um, yeah. So challenges. I mean, this. Uh, this period that we're in is, uh, you know, will be financially tricky. I think it's fair to say for a lot of farms, we've just had a, you know, harvest twenty twenty three. Our winter crops were 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 quite good actually, um, but spring crops were absolutely dire. Uh, we just had a terrible terrible spring here. I think a lack of sunshine, um, and actually that will that will bite us financially, um, and it, and that's on the back of a year where our input prices were. You know, ridiculously high. Some of our fertilizer was seven bought at seven hundred pounds a ton, um, and, and everything has just been mega expensive to grow. Um, so, so that's going to bite. And actually, coupled with the fact that actually commodity prices are, um, you know, the market has fallen. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it's not pretty. Uh, and we're then now going into what has been an crap autumn. The home farm crops are looking looking okay, thankfully. Uh, the contract farm. Yeah, you know where where we drilled drilled a bit later because of because of the ryegrass issues. Um, you know, it's really struggling there. And you know, as as we were talking about at the start of this call, the whole country doesn't look very happy at the moment. <laughs> so so yeah, so that's 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 the challenge. Uh, that's the farming challenge at the moment, and then really the GFC challenge, the Green Farm Collective challenge. Um, we have sort of set our our goal that. Um, this year we want to get at least one load of regeneratively farmed produce off each one of our members' farms, uh, and that's that's the goal for for this year as far as GFC goes, and that that's a great challenge in itself. Uh, and we're totally self-funded to date. Pushing the business onto the next level um, is 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 a massive challenge of its own, really. Yeah, um, but but looking at on the flip side, um, there's there's I mean, there must be massive opportunity with that if it, if it all comes together in the right way. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> there's an awful lot of work gone into it today, so yeah. That aside, um, what's next for you? Um, that could be. Green farm collective wise, that could be on farm wise, that could be the rest of your life. Yeah, what's next for me? Good question. Someone asked me this the other day. When you see yourself in ten years' time, yeah, <laughs> and that I think wonderful question. Ten, that old chestnut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think back ten years and think, God, I'd have never have predicted this. So, um, yeah, what's next, really? Well, as I, as I've just alluded to, Green Farm Collective is, you know, that's a that's a, a quite a priority, really. Um, yeah, pushing that forward and. and moving that on over the next six months and then i mean on on farm as i alluded to this this contract farm has given us a massive challenge and really you know it's i sort of see it as um the home farm it's taken me nine years to get it to how it is today um and so taking that contract farm on i want to get that contract farm uh you know into as good a shape as this farm is um and really in my head well if it took nine years to do this farm i've learned so much from doing this farm 
I want to be able to do that farm in four or five years. There's so a challenge put down. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. There is a challenge put down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you get an autumn like this and you think, God, right, maybe it's going to take us a bit <laughs> Maybe longer, it might be but... six years. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Uh, we're going to move ahead to the quick questions, which are a bit of fun. Um, first, your all-time favourite book. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I'm going to have to, and it'll be a classic that everyone talks about, but uh, Gabe Brown's Dirt to Soil was one oh, that, has to be. Yeah. Uh, that probably inspired me the most at the start of this this journey, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although a, a very close, uh, I'm reading a book called Nourishment by Fred Provenza. Okay. Um, which is, yeah, again, a fascinating book. And I think anyone involved in any kind of livestock system is a, is a must read because it really takes your brain where it's never been before. It certainly has done for mine. Great. Look that up. Uh, your all-time favourite film. Ooh. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not much of a, a film watcher, and the only films I can think of at the moment are probably probably the Gruffalo and the Snail and the Whale, because my three year old likes to watch them on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little more about our primary sponsor, Howden Rural, which is the new name for A Plan Rural. Same people, different name. Howden Rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates. This could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. So for more information, visit howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural. The final questions. Uh, your message for the public, Michael. Any message? Yeah, I think my message to the public is that um, there's a lot of farmers out there who who actually enjoy engaging uh, with the public and essentially with their customers. Um, and there's, you know, there's there's countless events on on around the country, and I just really encourage them to to try and engage with their local farmers and engage with any of those events, um, so that we can understand each other better. Um, because I think with everything in life, the more we understand each other, uh, you know, the more harmonious that relationship will be. So yeah, I think that will be my message. Right, and your message to your fellow farmers. Oh, message to fellow farmers. Okay, um, trial things, uh, stick your neck out, take 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 small risks to start with, and finally, uh, your recommendation for a blog, podcast, or social media account to follow, which can be farming or non-farming. Yeah, well, that's a that's an obvious one, but, the, but the, yeah, follow the Green Farm Collective. Uh, of course, we're on, we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. So uh, yeah, follow that, and and hopefully we'll have some uh, you know exciting updates over the next few months. And we also have our annual conference, which is the twenty second of May this year as well. That'll be here in in Bonningale again. So yeah, Fantastic. follow follow any of those accounts. Brilliant. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Honestly, it's been I've sort of heard of the Green Farm Collective in the just in the ether out there, sort of for, for quite a, yeah, so, since your early days really. So it's been. Uh, fantastic just to sit down with you and hear more about it um and i will look forward to seeing you in oxford as well absolutely yeah yeah it's not far away now um it's yeah really really looking, forward, really looking forward to that that yeah. is it for today a huge thank you uh to my guest michael for coming on the show thank you very much for listening uh, and thanks also to our primary podcast sponsor howden rural insurance who support the show Please see the show notes for more information and for any links mentioned today. 
Uh, next time, I'll be joined by Staffordshire Arable and Beef Farmer Andrew Court. For now, though, I'm Ben Eagle. This has been Meet the Farmers. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you all have a great week.